0: Jesus, Jesus, your name is alive, forever lifted high. Please go ahead and have a seat. We're gonna go right into our message this morning because this ties in perfectly with what we're talking about today. Jesus' name lifted high, why is it? Why do we say that? Why do we sing that, that Jesus' name is lifted high? One of the places this comes from is in Philippians chapter two. I wanna share this with you, Philippians chapter two, verse nine. It says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names, Jesus' name lifted high, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus' name is special because God made it special. And that's probably not a surprise to you. You're in a church building right now. Of course, we are honoring the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. But what may be more surprising to you is what happens before this is said by Paul in the book of Philippians. What happened before this? Because in verse 9, the first word we saw there was, therefore, And anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you always have to go back and check what it's there for. That means that there is a part two that you are reading and somewhere there is a part one that this is referring to. So what is that part one that we follow up with Jesus' name being lifted high? We have to go back to verse five for this. Philippians chapter two, verse five. And this is kind of the surprising part. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now just think about that for a minute. This is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus who is God, who has ultimate power over everything, who helped create the universe. Jesus who can create anything he wants to, experience anything he wants to, enjoy anything he wants to. Jesus who has ultimate divine privilege, giving that up for a time making himself low and humble and becoming human like us, becoming one of the people so that he could teach us how God wants us to really live, the type of people God wants to be following him so that he could launch this new movement with his disciples and ultimately so that he could die a horrific death to demonstrate his love for us and to pay the price for our sins. This is Jesus who had it all, Humbling himself, making himself low. And Paul says, therefore, God lifted him up. Gave him a name of great honor. Gave him all of this glory because he humbled himself. And then he says, you who follow Jesus must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. So what was that attitude that Jesus had? Well, it was humility. But what was the future that came about after that, a great reward, high honor. This is a pattern that we are going to see throughout the New Testament through Jesus' teaching and through the teaching of His disciples who would follow Him. A pattern of humility that leads to reward and a lot of things that are involved in that process. It's the same pattern that Jesus had started teaching His disciples in Matthew chapter 5. And that's where we're at today. We're in this series on the Beatitudes called The Art of Being Unordinary, and we're in Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to go back a few verses, read the context a little bit. You can follow along in the efree.org, uh, at efree.org slash Bible, or in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to read along that way. And we're going to start in verse 1, and then work our way up to the verse that we have for today. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, says this. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around them and he began to teach them. Now, these disciples we learned a couple weeks ago include Peter and Andrew and James and John. Peter and John were disciples of John the Baptist who moved over to follow Jesus. They brought in their brothers, uh, 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 Peter and uh, or, uh, Andrew and um, James. Excuse me, gotta keep all those names straight. So you've got these four disciples who are here as a part of Jesus' new discipleship crew. This is like new discipleship orientation. And there's probably other disciples with them who have all gathered around to listen to Jesus' teaching kind of early on in his ministry. And here is what he tells them. God blesses those who are poor, some versions say poor of spirit, and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That was two weeks ago. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And here is our verse for this morning. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Before we go any further, Would you bow your heads with me and pray and ask God to teach us this morning? Lord, your word is powerful and it has something for us today. It's got incredible wisdom and insight and I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us what you want us to learn today. For those that are in this room, for those that are watching online, God, I pray that you would illuminate your word and that you would give us some principles that we can apply. Help us to see some areas where we may have had the wrong thinking, some things that we need to be reminded of again and again so that we are living the way you want us to live, trusting the way you want us to trust. And in your name we pray, amen. So remember, this is new discipleship orientation, right? And Jesus is saying, here's what you need to be if you're gonna be one of my disciples. This is the type of disciple I'm going to produce. It's sort of like giving them kind of the first hint at what this is going to look like to be one of his followers. Here's what it's gonna be. And he's saying that if you wanna be a part of my crew, a part of my discipleship here, A part of the kingdom of God, that was a lot of what Jesus talked about, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Everybody wanted to be in the kingdom of God back then. They wanted to be in that future kingdom. And Jesus had some interesting things to say about that. We covered that a couple of weeks ago. If you're going to be a part of that, here's what you need to be. The type of person that God wants in his kingdom. Poor of spirit, who realize their need for God. They're spiritually poor. They realize they bring nothing to the table. Poor people, or people who mourn their own brokenness and the brokenness of the world. People who understand that that they are sinful and they actually mourn that. They're sorry for their sin and the sin that they see around them. And people who are humble. These are the types of people that Jesus wants as disciples. These are the types of people that God will have in his kingdom. And so the question we have to ask is, are any of us naturally like that? I don't see enough heads doing this. I am not naturally like this. I struggle with this all the time. We are not naturally these poor of spirit, realize our need for God, broken for our sin, broken for the sin of the world, humble people. That's not our natural state for us. In fact, the truth is we tend to puff ourselves up. We try to puff ourselves up to look like we are more wealthy or spiritual or influential or powerful than we really are. That was a problem in Jesus' day as well. If you look at the culture around us, It's a big problem, people trying to make themselves look like something they are not. And Jesus dealt with this back with the religious leaders. He interacted a lot with the religious leaders of his day. They were very prominent, powerful, and wealthy people. And yet at the same time, Jesus had some not so nice things to say about them. He especially made fun of their fancy clothes. They wore fancy clothes so everyone would notice when they walked in the room. Because they wanted everybody to know how spiritual they were by how they dressed. So he said in Matthew chapter 23, Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels coming down the sides. Now, why would they wear these long tassels? Well, the longer the tassel, the more spiritual they thought you were. You must be more spiritual, which is a very easy way to be more spiritual. If you just have to stick a longer rope from your belt or something. Can you imagine if we did that? Like we walked into church and we had, we had special clothes that made us look more spiritual and we just made them longer and longer and longer so they would look more spiritual than anybody else. And somehow that was tied to how close to God we were. But that's what, that's what they did. They, they even invented new ways of looking more spiritual. Why? Because they loved the spotlight. They loved the influence. They loved making it look like they were great. These are the guys that if they existed today, their Instagram accounts would be filled with photos of them praying and reading their scrolls. It's just praying in scrolls, praying in scrolls. It's like, look how spiritual I am. Look how awesome I am. And I'm not trying to knock anybody that takes pictures of you reading a scroll, if you have a scroll. But that's what these guys were like. It was like this was their personal brand. They wanted everybody to see how spiritual, how wonderful they are. They invented new ways to try to look more spiritual. And so they would go out into their herb gardens in the back on their porch and they'd pick off the herbs and they would count them out and be very careful. Like, okay, this is nine over here, this is one over here. And so I will give a tenth of my herbs to the temple. And then they let everybody know that because that's how spiritual they were. They invented all these new ways, extra rules to be and look more spiritual. But it was a sham. I'll just give you one example of this. Jesus said in Mark chapter seven, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, and picture this now. Isaiah is a prophet that these people revere. They love Isaiah. He's one of their big guys. He's a hero to them. And Jesus is saying, Isaiah prophesied about you. Check this out. Here's what he said about you guys. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They say the right things, but they don't mean it. They don't mean it in their heart. It's all for show. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That is a horrible condemnation to come out of the mouth of Jesus to these people to say you are creating extra man-made ideas, extra traditions, extra spiritual rules, and you're trying to not only use that to make yourself look more spiritual, but you're trying to push that on other people to make them look more spiritual too. Why, because it's about show. It's about making it look like you're better than you really are. There's something so incredibly arrogant about making up extra rules and saying that there's some sort of biblical or divine weight behind them when it's just a man made rule. These were very proud people. Now there are lots of ways that you and I try to make ourselves look more wealthy, more powerful, more spiritual than we really are. A lot of people, a shocking amount of people, according to the surveys, pad their resumes. So when they're applying for a job, they will put things on there that aren't actually true. They'll make up degrees they didn't have, or they'll say that they did a little better than they did, or maybe they one time wrote an email about a project, and then they take credit for the whole project. They do things to kind of make it look like they're better than they really are. Some people buy a nicer car than they can really afford because they want people to think that they're really wealthier than they are. Some people will post fake photos online you ever seen this, where somebody will post a photo of themselves with their new car, and then somebody does some research and finds out that they don't own that car? And then they comment and attack them for it, and the, then the person doubles down, like, no, I really did buy the car, but then I sold it right away. You know, they, they do stuff... To try to make it look like they've got more money, more wealth, more fame, more influence, or in some cases, more spirituality than they really have. One of my favorites is when you'll see a photo of somebody, and you know, they're standing outside on the street, and there's a light pole next to them, and as you follow the light pole all the way down, as it gets to their midsection, the light pole goes, why did it do that? Because they photoshopped themselves to make them look thinner, and it brought the light pole in. It's a fake photo. You see this all over the place. Why? Because we're trying to puff ourselves up to look better than we really are. It's pride. It's arrogance. Some people will actually bribe colleges so their kids can get in so that their family has more esteem. Look at my kid. You know, I'm living vicariously through them and then I'm going to make sure they get into the college I want. Why? Because we want to puff ourselves up. I don't know if any of you pay attention to politics at all, Anybody pay attention to politics here? No, good. There's no, no reason to. But if you follow politics at all, what do politicians do? Even the good ones. Puff, 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 just lift myself up, make myself look better than I am, like I have more influence than I do, like I'm gonna do something big about this. It's all a lot of talk. A long time ago, back when I was younger, I I actually thought that I might go into politics, and I actually worked on a a presidential campaign a little bit, and just kind of volunteered and helped out in some things. And as a part of that process, I I concluded conclusively that there's no way I could go into politics. Because even the great ones, it was like, wow, I can't believe how much you have to just promote yourself and prop yourself up there. It's just, oh, this feels weird. And some of them, you know, they twist the truth, and why? Because they wanna make themselves look like they've got more influence, more political weight, because they gotta get more votes. Jesus says, my disciples will be different. Different than what you see in the culture. Different than what you see in the world. See, in the world, what we see is that people who are aggressive and abrasive and arrogant and, and bullies push people around, make something big of themselves, They're often the ones that do get ahead, at least from what we can see. We don't know how miserable they are on the inside, but they're the ones that it looks like, man, they're really winning. So we think, yeah, maybe I should do that too. Maybe I should, you know what, look how far this guy rose in the company. Maybe I should also do some of that stuff because I I want to rise in the ranks as well. Jesus is saying, that's not what I want my disciples to be like. But we have a problem in our culture because a lot of times, we will confuse humility with weakness. We... We think like the ancient Greeks did. The ancient Greeks thought of humility as a sin, as a vice. (coughs) Excuse me. They actually thought that it was a negative thing to be humble because it meant you're not going to get very far in life. You're not going to get ahead in business. You're not going to get ahead in politics. Both of those were as big a deal to them as they are to us today. And so they thought that humility was actually something that was wrong. But you can't confuse humility with weakness. Some versions will translate the word for humble as meek. And so people will hear meek and they will think, well, it rhymes with weak, so it's probably just weak people with a different word on the front. And we think of humble or meek sometimes as being kind of representative of weakness. But here's the thing, the guy who was telling us this was not a weak person. Here's something that he did back in the temple in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. And by the way, another gospel tells us he had a whip. So Jesus brought a whip in, and he's kicking all these people out of the temple, all the people that are buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Can you imagine if something bad were going on in here and somebody were to come in here and just flip over this table? That'd be a pretty bold statement, wouldn't it? That'd be a pretty big deal. Jesus did that in the temple. That's that's a strong guy. That's a bold move. That's a big thing for him to do. Now, why did he do that? Well, he goes on to say... It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers or thieves. And so what he was saying was that they were cheating the people in their business there. His issue wasn't the fact that they were selling animals or sacrifices. his issue was the fact that they were, they were gouging people on the prices and they were trying to make as much profit as they could and they were being dishonest about it as they were changing money and all of that. So Jesus was no weakling. Jesus was not some mamby-pamby kind of guy. I know you see this a lot in movies that just like he's so calm and so gentle and he talks like this and I'm Jesus. Maybe you've seen those videos that a church did a while back. I thought about playing a clip here today but it almost seems so sacrilegious what they did. But what they did is they made Jesus into this sort of sweet and gentle mamby-pamby kind of character and I'm Jesus. And they did it to, to demonstrate that that's not what Jesus was like. This was a strong dude. This guy had some serious strength to come into the temple and do this. And yet, here is what Jesus says about himself in Matthew chapter 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. Jesus is humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Humility is not about being weak. Humility is strength under Control. Humility is strength that isn't showy. A great example of this is electricity. All of us have electricity in our homes. And we don't really think about that often because usually the electricity is just something you flip a switch and the light works and that's it. It's powering some, some lights and some outlets and you know maybe a computer and a fridge and different things like that, but we don't really think about it much until we lose it. And then we lose our minds. This week, our power went out for about an hour and a half. And within a minute, my neighbor had texted me, do you guys have power? How am I gonna survive without power? And you know what I was doing as I received that text message? I was in the middle of typing a message to him, do you guys have power? It's not a joke, it's just what actually happened. And we can't live without that power. Electricity is an important part of our lives, we take it for granted, but it's this incredibly powerful thing. What happens when electricity goes out of control? Explosions, fire, death, crazy things happen because electricity is this hugely powerful thing that is only useful when it's brought under control. Being humble is the same way. It's not about being weak. It's not about not having strength. It's about that strength being under control. It's about not showing off that strength. And that is exactly what Jesus demonstrated for us. If you go back to where we were before, in Philippians chapter two, let's take another look at this passage. Verse five says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, incredible strength, ultimate power, though he was God, everything he could ever want. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, completely under control. Not showy. That's what Jesus did. He gave up the most powerful position in the universe so he could be like one of us. It's almost like if you or I were to see an ant colony and there were some problems going on and just imagine we had this ability and we went, I will, I will become one of them to help them through these problems. I will lower myself to the status of an ant. I mean, it's almost like that. The comparison between the God of the universe choosing to humble himself to become one of us But that is what he did for us. Paul says, we need to have that attitude. That kind of attitude of being willing to give up our our privileges so that we can help other people. So that we can be humble before God. It's what Jesus taught his disciples. Now one of those disciples who was there, remember, was Peter. Peter was there, he heard this. I don't know if he understood it at the time. But he heard this message, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And Peter wrote letters later about humility. In 1 Peter chapter five, he says, all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now if there's one thing I don't want to be, it's opposed by God. God has all the cards and he can see my hand. I don't want him as my opponent. That's not gonna work out very well for me. And yet God says that the thing that we do so often in our lives with our arrogance and our pride and puffing ourselves up in all these different ways that God opposes that. So Peter is writing to Christians. He's saying, don't be proud, don't be showy. Wear humility like clothing. And then in verse six, he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up. In honor. See, people were trying to get all sorts of honor and prestige and status for themselves, and Peter's message was, hey, let God do that for you. Don't try to puff yourself up. Don't try to get people to pay attention to you or your abilities or your strengths in any kind of a a weird sort of arrogant way. Don't try to force it. Be humble. Let God lift you up instead. It's not that we're supposed to be weak or pathetic people. We're supposed to recognize where the real power comes from. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. If you think that bragging about your accomplishments or how much money you make or, or how spiritual you are, any of that stuff is gonna get you anywhere in life, it, may, it might make other people look at you and go, well, look at him, he's doing pretty good. But the Bible says that God opposes you. That sounds like a very dangerous position to be in. And then Peter says something else. It seems like he's shifting subjects, but I actually think they're connected. In verse seven he says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Now why would Peter go from talking about pride and humility to all of a sudden saying this little statement, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. I think it's because pride shows up in one of the most unexpected ways in our worries. Worrying and dwelling on that worry is actually an evidence of some pride in our lives. Now, we don't think of it that way because we think, well, if I'm worrying, that means I'm lowly and I'm, I'm kind of bringing myself low and I'm not lifting myself up. But just, just listen to me for a minute. I think that worry is evidence of some pride in our lives. And let me, let me share why. The reason I worry is because I want a better future than what I think may happen. And I don't trust God with the outcome. So the reason I worry is because I want a better future than what I think may happen. I'm worried that something worse may happen than what I want to happen, or what I think I deserve, and I'm not trusting God with the outcome, and so I worry. The ultimate act of humility that you and I can do is to pry our hands off the steering wheel of life and just say, God, I I give it all up to you, I turn it all over to you. And you probably thought I was going to say, Jesus, take the wheel, but I'm not going to go there. Just pry your hands off the steering wheel of life and say, God, it's yours. I trust you with it. I'm not gonna worry about it myself. It's not saying, I've got this. It's saying, he's got this. Worry can actually be an evidence of pride in our lives, but trust drives out worry. When you are trusting that God's got the future and that you don't have to worry about it, that worry can start to slip away. Trust drives out pride. If I have to trust in him, I can't really be proud in anything that I can do. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to have worries in our life. That doesn't mean we're not gonna get anxious. It doesn't mean we're not gonna have stress. This is something I wrestle with all the time. I wrestle with that temptation to worry. And I have to capture that thought and say, no, I'm not gonna dwell on that. I'm gonna trust God in the future. And compared to what he's got in store for me, this is nothing. This is not that big of a deal. Whenever we dwell on those worries, It's like we're saying, I'm not trusting God with the future. And I think something worse is gonna happen than what I want or what I think I deserve. And so it actually can be an evidence of pride. But here's the thing, the people who are humble end up getting a better future and rewarded anyway. The people who are humble in their current circumstances get better things later, and this is a promise from God. In Philippians chapter two, Paul says that Jesus humbled himself and God lifted him up. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, if you humble yourself before the power of God at the right time, he will what? Lift you up. And what does Jesus say in new discipleship orientation back in Matthew chapter 5? God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Now we've already learned in this series what blessed means. The word means divine happiness, A happiness that God provides to you. And why do these people, these humble people, have happiness? Is it because they made themselves humble? Is that the cause of their happiness? If you look carefully at the verse, that's not what's happening here. God blesses, God gives divine happiness, for they will inherit the whole earth. That's why they're happy. They're happy not because of their circumstances now. They're happy because of what they know is coming later. The humble know that they will inherit the whole earth and so they can be happy. God gives them happiness in that. This idea of inheriting the whole earth or some versions say inheriting the land, it's the same, means the same thing. It's prophetic language that the disciples here would have understood but it's hard for us to understand this until we go back and see the context. In Genesis chapter 28 and 18 and some other places, God is talking with Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. He gives each of them the same basic promise you will inherit a bunch of land. This is a a prophecy that God would give them of promise, of future blessing. In the New Testament, the New Testament authors and Jesus pick up on this and tie this in with the future kingdom of God. They say, well that's not just about, that's not just about the physical land of Israel, that's about God's future kingdom. The, The land, the earth, everything, it's a promise of blessing in God's future kingdom. That's how Paul uses this in Romans chapter four. He used the same phrase there. In Psalm 37, we see it as well this promise of the lowly inhabiting this great future land. It's a prophetic promise. And so the people that can have divine happiness now are the people who are going to be a part of God's kingdom. And they recognize that. And God gives them divine happiness because of the great future that's in store for them, not necessarily because of the circumstances that they're in right now. So the key to pursuing or to being happy is not to pursue happiness. It's not to try to do everything you can to make yourself happy. One of the keys of happiness is the realization that God has a great future in store for those who have become humble before him. It's not the becoming humble that makes you happy. It's not pursuing happiness that makes you happy. In fact, that tends to make us miserable. What can make us divinely happy, what can supersede all of the circumstances that we're in is the understanding of what God has in in store for us in the future. Humble now but happy because of great reward later. Our pride says you should have better circumstances right now. Our pride says you don't deserve this. You shouldn't be dealing with this problem at work, in your family, at school. You deserve better than this. Being humble says, I'm gonna turn all that over to God. Our pride says you need this in the future. You deserve this promotion. You deserve this thing. They should treat you like this. You deserve this relationship. You should have this. You should worry about this because you really need this. Humility says, I'm going to let God worry about that. In fact, whatever he brings my way, I'm going to trust him with the outcome. Because I know that ultimately, he's got a great future in store for me. You See, pride and humility have an awful lot to do with our worries. But you know what happens when we do turn all of that over to God? when we do give it all over to him and say, Lord, I'm gonna gonna put that at your feet, I'm gonna let you deal with that, I'm gonna put all my worries on you because I know you care for me, as we read earlier, he gives us divine happiness. Try it, you'll see. If you really give all of that to him, he will give you divine happiness. It doesn't mean that you won't sometimes struggle. It doesn't mean you won't have the temptations. But it does mean that no matter what circumstances you are in, you can find yourself, you can learn to be content and even to be happy despite what is going on around you because God is the one who holds your future. God is the one who will ultimately determine what happens to you and nothing that we face today even compares to what he has in store for us. Nothing that we can gain from puffing ourselves up compares to what he has in store for us. So humble yourself. And let God lift you up in his time. i want to ask you to bow your heads if you will. And I just want a moment of reflection here. A moment to think about an area in your life where you may have been trying to lift yourself up. Where you may have been trying to puff yourself up. To look more wealthy, more spiritual, whatever it is, than you really are. This is an opportunity to confess that to God. To let him know that you are going to trust in him fully not in yourself, not in what you can do, not in your ability to make yourself look good, but to trust in him. Lord, we thank you for your teaching and your word and this consistent thread of the importance of being humble in our lives. It's something that we wrestle with every single day. I wrestle with every single day. And then to think about how humble you made yourself, how you lowered yourself to come down with us, to be with us, to die for us, and that ultimate act of humility when you died on the cross for us, Lord. We're gonna take some time to remember that today, and God, I pray that you would work through this time. Help us to grow in our faith and our trust in you. Help us to be humble before you. Help us to see those areas in our lives where, where we need to work on that, and we need to give things over to you and not be trying to lift ourselves up, but be patient and wait on you to do that for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.